This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. Oh he put He's going What's he up the right sideline? Yeah, he's got to go. He's tackled Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Hello, and welcome to the Republic of Football, a show that knows the real national championship is the friends we made along the way. I am your host, Ishmael Johnson, the college editor here at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. On the line in his recovery incubator, also known as Austin, Texas, uh, Mike Craven, our senior college writer, after putting in another hard shift of a August to January uh, coverage season. Mike, are you recovered a little bit yet? Uh, I'm doing okay. I got in pretty late last night, so I'd imagine I, I catch up on some sleep tonight. But a, a great football season. Disappointing that it ended in such a blowout, but a, but a fun, awesome football season that lasted a lot longer than any of us uh, anticipated. So that was fun. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Um, I hosted a little Twitter space after after the game to kind of get everybody a chance to decompress and kind of obviously there wasn't much nuance to talk about in that game, but um, just to kind of talk about the season overall. And then we talk a little bit about the game. Um, obviously, of course, I forgot to mention uh, who is in studio with me is our everyone's favorite Mal pal, Mallory Hartley. Do you have your camera? Oh, you go. You got the webcam. There got you the go. webcam on. This yeah. is, this is really weird. I can like look directly at the camera. That's kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah. The other cam that uh, she's used to working is, is gone. It's just gone. Uh, like I looked so. up and I was like, Oh, that's not, there so we'll just use the webcam we have for a today. hostage webcam um, <laughs> did we get did we get robbed <laughs> i have no idea well, well okay honestly guys, it's say, funny yeah, craven you're not here but the studio is an absolute mess right now yeah, because pickle and i decided to clear out every bit of equipment that we have go through it uh and move the storage bins so it's a complete mess in here like so there's really here. no telling where the camera is so <laughs> i like how fun. just moving the the studio around somebody was like i'm just gonna move this too. i'm gonna move, <laughs> I'm gonna move, move your camera, camera. exactly <laughs> it happens it's fine <laughs> um, so anyway but you know let's talk a little bit about the game because this is our first time all of us talking here about it um since since it ended and craven the the question i think everybody kind of has asked uh who covered the game who watched the game when did you kind of get a feeling that this was going to be obviously 65 to 7 is is hard to predict but when did you kind of get a feeling of like oh they have a mountain to climb yeah probably probably that that third touch or the second or third touchdown for Georgia you know TCU came back and made it 10 to 7 mm-hmm. and it was like okay the offense found something there at the end of their script if the defense can get a stop all of a sudden TCU goes down and gets a field goal or a touchdown they're right in this game. And, and I'm one of those people that believes that these football games don't have just one outcome, right? Sure. Just because we saw an outcome doesn't mean that's exactly what would have happened in a thousand different scenarios and a thousand different cases. Had TCU been able to get a stop early, get, tie that game, maybe take a lead, maybe things are different. Uh, but it became obvious pretty quickly that they had no shot at stopping Georgia. It, it didn't matter if they were able to score points or not. Mm-hmm. Georgia was going to score at will and, they ended up scoring nine touchdowns and 11 possessions. Mm. You know, one of those other ones was a field goal and then one punt. 
And so, you know, it looked from pretty early on, you, you could tell that this was going to be a long night for TCU. Max Duggan was going to have to play the game of his life. They were going to have to win a big time shootout and they just did not have that. Yeah. I think for me, I think that's a good way to put it because I think that was one matchup we kind of didn't really talk enough about because obviously Georgia's strength is defense um, and obviously TCU's offense has been the story of their season. But we, I, I, for, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll take blame for this as well. Our coverage, and I feel like national coverage as well, didn't really talk about the Georgia offense versus the TCU defense a lot. Obviously, the 3-3-5 right. was the discussion point because that was the discussion point against Michigan. And, you know, can they match up the physicality? It was kind of a general discussion, but it wasn't as much as like – okay, what does Stetson Bennett look like against this defense, right? It wasn't as much about that. I think we just kind of thought that'd be the the lesser matchup than the strength on strength on the other side. And that's I mean, that's that's <laughs> one that kind of decided the game in terms yeah. of, like, this being an unwinnable feat for TCU because it wasn't just the fact that they couldn't move the ball. It was also that, yeah, even if they could have, they weren't stopping, right? They weren't stopping Stetson Bennett. They didn't even have to use their wide receivers much. It was Brock Bowers and Lad McConkie, and then they lined up Darnell Washington uh, a couple times. And, yeah, it was mostly that side of the ball where I was like, oh, this is th – th that side of the ball is where, I where my eyebrows really raised where it was like, oh, this is where the mismatches really are. I thought, like – I thought in the beginning, I thought that TCU did an okay job with with – taking Georgia's runaway just a little bit. Sure. Of course, like Georgia has other weapons, you know, at the wide receiver spot, and it's Detson Bennett, of course. But I kind of thought that they did an okay job with stopping the run just a little bit until they got really tired, and then Georgia could beat them up in multiple different ways. Sure. But I thought they did okay at first, and then, you know, yeah, it kind of started to, to deteriorate <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Georgia averaged 16.8 yards a completion, 12 yeah. yards an attempt. You know, they had 335 passing yards, and they only completed 20 passes. I mean, they, it, it was the big plays down the field, and I, I think y'all are right. I think the talking points were obviously TCU offense versus Georgia defense, and then when we did talk about the Georgia offense, it was like, how is that 3-3-5 going to work against the physicality mm -hmm. of the Georgia run game and the 12 personnel? Uh, but Stetson Bennett you know, kind of put a bow on his career. People are calling him the best player in Georgia history. I was super impressed with him, and I can't tell you – I mean, maybe Bijan Robinson is the only other player this year I saw in person that was like, holy crap, mm -hmm. that dude needs to be in the NFL tomorrow more than Brock Bowers. Like, yes. that kid <laughs> is unbelievable. Like, he needs a waiver to, like, be able to skip more college. There's no reason yeah. he needs to be playing college football anymore. He's a top mm -hmm. 10 draft pick. He's going to be an incredible NFL player. Yeah, the fact that they have both him and Darnell Washington, like, lining up a tight end is, is, is stupid. Um, uh, the one other thing that I mentioned, I think split zone duo mentioned this point, and I, I didn't think about this until they mentioned it. Um, they talked about how the field goal that Georgia took was probably the most disrespectful early field goal mm -hmm. because it was like in TCU territory. They could have gone for they it. They could have gone for and it. And it was like, oh no, they're not going to score, so it doesn't matter. Like we'll take the we'll take the three here. And I forgot what it put him. I think it was seven. I think it put him up seven. Seven ten. Seven, or I think. It, I think. It, oh, okay. I think. No, it was ten zero. Ten zero. Ten. Okay, oh, okay, that's right. Okay. That's right. And it, but it was more or less like, yeah, that's fine. Right. Yeah, we'll we'll take the, like any against Alabama against right. any other team. You feel like they probably go for that and then try to keep the 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 foot on the gas. But it was more or less like we're, we're going to get it back and we're going to be fine. Yeah. And the only play TC really had was the busted coverage to Darius Davis. Um. And, and that would, you know, it, it, it is funny how TCU seemingly always gets a 
play, whether it's Quentin Johnson or Davis or Tay mm-hmm. Barber, they always end up with somebody being wide open because uh, of a busted coverage or some type of miss. Um, and I thought, okay, here he comes, right? That's the, they find these little, you know, these little uh, uh, mismatches or not even mismatches, but just misreads in the secondary, and they make a play off of it. And that was all they had. You know, Quentin Johnston was held. I mean, credit to Georgia's defense. Quentin Johnston was held. Three so, yards, right? Yeah, three yards, <laughs> uh, one catch, you know, and he was the focus, right? He's the reason why that mi- that busted coverage happened because he cut inside and both the safety and the corner both bit. Mm-hmm. And Darius Davis was on the on the outside wide open. And that was the one play TCU had. Um no shame to Amari DiMarcato. I mean, it's hard to go against that front seven, but obviously when you're the only running option they had, mm-hmm. right, with no Kendra Miller there, Mm-mm. it was just a it was going to be an uphill battle the whole the whole night and it quickly became obvious that Georgia was just going to give them the sidelines and say, "Yeah, that's fine. You're not going to get anything. Like we're we're quick enough to where your screen game is going to work." I think that was Quentin Johnson's only catch was a screen. Um, and your kind of short routes with Tay Barber and Darius Davis aren't going to work either. So yeah, it just kind of unfortunately, Georgia. I mean, <laughs> we watched a juggernaut kind of just yeah. work and flex more or less. Did you see, uh, Georgia ordered chicken wings on the sideline, like in. Oh during the game, oh my god, they well, were they have, so uh, bored. So fine, they have those uh, booths like at AT and T. So they were oh. just taking food from like the that's amazing G- Georgia fans behind the bench. Oh my god, that's that is, incredible. I saw that their um, their program you know, sent out the. I, I think one of the big points here was you know Max Duggan needed to be perfect for TCU to have a chance. He was going to have to do what C.J. Stroud did the week before, and we talked about that last week. He was going to have to you know throw for three hundred yards and a few touchdowns. He was going to have to run around. You know, he got sacked five times. He had minus yeah. 38 rushing yards. He only completed 14 of 22 passes. Um, you know, that first drive when they had the ball first, Quentin Johnson came open uh, on that third down play, and he overthrew him. He had him wide open. That would have been a touchdown, maybe flipped the momentum of that game. Mm-hmm. I think Georgia still wins by a lot of points, but I think it's a closer game if TCU comes out of the gates and scores that one. And if you look over the last three games, you know, this is a TCU team that finished one and two. Didn't win the Big 12 championship, you know, didn't win the national championship. And a lot of that's because Duggan came back to earth. He was around 50% completions mm-hmm. over that last three games. You know, he only threw, I think, three t- three interceptions the first 12 games of the year. He threw five total in the last three. Um, and so zero touchdowns, two interceptions on his part. His running game couldn't get going. And TCU just did not stand a chance without him being great. And I, I think it just shows his value throughout the year because he carried this team for a lot of the year. Without Kendra Miller, without Max Duggan, they really just stood no shot. Yeah, and uh, you know, let's let's kind of look at the discussion that's surrounding the game now. You know, there's a lot of discussion about, oh, was it even worth making? Yeah, it was worth yes. making it, right? Like that's not that's not the discussion I want to have. But there were some interesting questions posed to me in the space that that kind of reflect fair discussion in terms of like. Is this game a good showcase for the Big 12, right? Is making it a good showcase for the Big Let's leave TCU out of it, but just, like, talk about the in terms of the Big 12, right? A lot of uh, – one person asked, like, does this justify a or not A&M, uh, or, I mean, kind of A&M 10 years ago, Texas and Oklahoma, does it justify their kind of mindset, right, mm-hmm. in terms of, like – there's a ceiling with some of these programs, right? I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm saying this is what people, some people believe and some people say, that there is a ceiling, right? There is a recruiting ceiling that, you know, we, uh, Bud Elliott mentioned the, the five-star uh, ratio, right? You have to have 50% or more, five, four or five stars on your roster to win a national title, right? That has literally been the thing for as long as we can remember, at least in this modern era. Every national champion has had a certain amount of elite talent. Is it possible, or... Uh, 
was this a did this justify or not um maybe that uh, texas and oklahoma thinking that maybe there is a ceiling or or if you are tcu and you're somebody in the big 12 is this somebody saying hey look what can happen when we we haven't even touched the surface or the ceiling i should say of what sunny dykes's tcu could look like look what he did in one year is this just kind of like a natural stepping stone of, of of kind of seeing where you need to go well, I mean, I think the first point is we need to clarify that Texas and Oklahoma aren't leaving the Big 12 to the SEC to sure. crash some kind of ceiling. Sure, 100%. Uh, they're trying to make money. Yes. Uh, Texas goes undefeated or 12-1 and one in the regular season. They're going to the college football playoff no matter what conference they play in. Same for Oklahoma. Same for USC out in the Pac-12. That, that had nothing to do with competitive balance or anything. That, that had to do with cash. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think if you're the Big 12 – but the playoff expansion happening pretty soon, it doesn't matter. Um, if you have a season like TCU just had, you're going to go to the college football playoff every single year. And so, you know, I, I think that, that you know, erases some of that perception need. Uh, because if this was three years ago and that happened to TCU, I'd totally have that conversation. But I think mm-hmm. in the evolving world of what college football is going to be looking like in 2024 and beyond – if you have a TCU-type run, you're going to make it, and you can go win those football games and change that perception year in, year out. So it doesn't really matter what the national uh, thoughts are about your conference. You're going to get in there and have your chance to, to either prove them right or to prove them wrong. Sure, sure. One of, the, um, one of your takeaways that I loved from, uh, if you haven't checked it out, you know, textfootball.com, one of, your, one of your takeaways I liked a lot from L.A. was, you know, it was it. It is a sh- it, this game was a showcase of how the Cinderella story doesn't always play out perfectly, right? Um, in college football, we do love it, right? We saw it this year with Tulane, right, beating USC. Of course, Boise State over Oklahoma. We love these kind of stories, and yeah, it was awesome that TCU, a team that was not <laughs> did not make a bowl last year, um, new head coach, things like that, kind of shocked the nation, and not only made the playoff but won a playoff game, right? That is a legitimate accomplishment. But it still showed that it doesn't always, yeah, eventually, you mentioned it, Dave, uh, Goliath sometimes wins, right? Goliath sometimes remembers that he's seven feet tall and David is a 12-year-old boy or however old he was in the, in, in the, in the Bible story. But, like, you know, this shows to me that I kind of made this argument because somebody asked, and somebody asked kind of like about uh, what it means for TCU. And does it hurt their recruiting or hurt their national stance? I don't think it does. And I want, I'm curious about your thoughts on this. To me, if I'm Sonny Dykes, I use this as, yeah, look what I was able to do when I didn't even have my real footprint in this program, right? I took a lot of the guys that have already been here. I coached them up, right? We put a different scheme around them. We added some pieces defensively through the group of five. But now look at what we're adding. We're adding Tommy Brockermeyer. We're adding JoJo Earl, mm-hmm. right? We're adding guys that are like – potentially re- that were Al- literally Alabama uh, power five SEC national title caliber. We're adding those type of guys now. Right. So uh, at least in my opinion, yeah, sure. Right now you're going to be the joke of, of a lot of people's circles. Sure. 65, seven, that's never a good look, but long, like long term, I don't, I think this hurt. I think this helps Sonny Dykes's project. And I would, I would assume it would help his recruiting as well, because as we've seen, it's not going to drop off because, okay, cool. You've made it to the national title and you got blown out. Okay. That's still making it to a national title. Something that a Texas, a Texas team hasn't done in over 10 years. 
Right, and you're going to decommit from TCU and, and to, to go where, right? right like, right. it's not like your choice is TCU or Georgia, and you were picking TCU a week before this game, and now that you saw that, you're going to flip to Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. Like, TCU, you can't lose what you've never had. And right. TCU's not recruiting the top 10 players in the state or the nation anyway, and so, you know, the guys that they're recruiting, the teams that they're recruiting against, they just had a stellar season compared to that second tier uh, of college football elite, and that's okay, you know? Like, it's okay to admit – what you are where TCU is going to get those big five-star high four-star guys is through the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. And Sonny Dykes has already proven that it's working there. You know, like, like as you mentioned, the names that you just talked about, Sonny had six uh, transfers on official visits while the week of the national championship game was going on. And so uh, I don't think it hurts them in recruiting. They made over $2 billion in terms of like free marketing for their university, for that football program. They're going to be a- able to add bigger staff, they're going to be able to upgrade facilities. The money is going to flow into that program based on what they did this last year. If you're a TCU fan, I know the social media jokes probably hurt your feelings in a little bit, but where this program was on January 11th, 2022, mm-hmm. and where the program is January 11th, 2023, could not could not have even been predicted. It can't be seen. Yeah. And so you have to keep a little bit of perspective, realize that this was the best year in TCU history maybe, uh, and they're going to reap the benefits of that, you know, year in, year out, moving forward, I believe. I think it's an advantage, not a disadvantage, mm-hmm. even though it was disappointed, disappointing on Monday night. Sure, 100%. And so, you know, with that, we'll put a little bow on uh, on our coverage of this season. We'll, we'll be back next week and weeks after with uh, uh, postmortems and kind of going through teams, you know, reviewing their seasons. Mike Craven will also start his postmortems on the website. Uh, I'm kind of going through – you know, good, bad. I mean, literally, that's what we that's what we phrased it in the article. Good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, what they need <laughs> to work on. What there's optimism for. Maybe some pessimism about things like that. Um, so that'll be kind of in the coming weeks on TexasFootball.com and through us, Republic of Football. But as for now, Mallory, we got a little game to play. Let's Woo. let's look ahead a little bit to. Some projecting to 2023, uh, to, to fall 2023, but also some questions just in general about some programs. Let's look at the first one. Okay. Buying or selling? Texas will play for a Big 12 title in 2023. Mm. What are we thinking on that one? Yeah, so this one, I love this one because obviously this will be, I mean, all the writing's on the wall that this will be the last year of Texas in the Big 12, yep. uh, Texas yep. and Oklahoma. Um, got one more year. And as UNT and UTSA love to do they would love to spoil an outgoing uh a season of a conference right <laughs> they love the idea of a conference commissioner handing a team that's not going to be there the trophy it's going to be texas and oklahoma um, this year um, that'd be, that'd be <laughs> um i'm gonna go with true i think they do because this team was so close this year to just being not even national title contender just being what they think they should be, right, which is playing in AT&T for a Big 12 title. So many lapses this year, play calling-wise, game state-wise, felt so fixable. Now, again, that's all, that's still on Sarkeesian to actually turn the corner and fix those. But I feel like the, you watch that game, and I don't know if Craven agrees or disagrees, and you just see a fixable team. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if they could just it, – it's, it's like a team with rough edges right now, and if you could just sand it out. You see a you see a Big Twelve mm-hmm. championship team there, so I'm gonna go true, and we'll see. Um, yeah, Craven, what do you think? 
I'm also buying this. This is going to be a trend throughout the offseason. People are going to get annoyed at the Texas hype I'm going to bring to this Republic of Football show yeah. uh, for the next eight months. They're bringing back all five starting offensive yeah. linemen, and they got some young guys pushing in the two deep behind them. That defensive line is going to be okay. I think the defense is going to be good. Quinn Ewers is going to take a step forward, and if he doesn't, Arch Manning's right there. Uh, the backfield's going to be fine. A lot of you know the running game's dictated on your offensive line anyway. I think Jonathan Brooks is going to be just fine uh, as a running back. The receivers, Jordan Whittington's coming back. It looks like Xavier Worthy's going to come back. They're going to, you know, Isaiah Nayor is going to be healthy. The Wyoming transfer that missed out on this year. So, you know, and then you look at the Big Twelve and Oklahoma State's on fire. Uh, TCU not in a good way on fire, like a dumpster type <laughs> fire. Right. Uh, TCU has to take a step back. We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, later on. And so it just, you know, Oklahoma's not quite there yet. And so you look around the Big 12, it's like, who's going who's gonna to be the favorite? Well, mm-hmm. it's got to be Kansas State and it's got to be Texas. Uh, right now, I feel like those are going to be the two best teams on paper um, going into the Big 12 next year. Maybe I, even Texas Tech. Yeah. I feel like, too, I feel like one of the most interesting off-season topics that we're going to have with Texas is going to be that quarterback battle. Sure. You know, with oh, yeah. Quinn Ewers and then Arch Manning, Arch Manning coming in from that 2023 class. I think that's got to be one of the most fascinating off-season pieces that we're going to get this coming off-season. Yeah, because, I mean, it, it, it was obvious that Quinn Ewers plateaued, right? Took a step back Absolutely. or plateaued from, yeah. what, obviously, what we thought he'd be. But how much of that was just him not playing since his junior year? Right, of right. High school. Um, like, does he need a full other off season sure. with Texas I, to right. look better? And I think that discussion because people people had a lot of doomsday scenarios when he when he decided to skip his senior year of saying, "Oh, this is going to be a trend." Mm-hmm. I think he's proving that that's not going to be a trend. No, right. We see we're seeing how much he struggled and how much live fire just changes who you are as a quarterback, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that's I mean, again, I think if he, I, I'm not in the mind of Quinn Ewers, but I feel like if he had to do it all over again, he maybe goes to senior year, right, mm-hmm. and maybe steps in as a true freshman and is a lot more polished of a quarterback and not more game ready um so i I feel like he's somebody who the talent is there and yeah i agree it's gonna be people are gonna get sick of this because i think they're gonna be really good Mm -hmm. (laughs) what if what uh what question do we have next mallory let's go with are you buying or selling jimbo fisher and bobby petrino will coexist on the texas a&m coaching staff all right we've already kind of hinted at this this, (laughs) but i think it's just kind of funny craven what do you think I honestly think I'm buying this one. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the talent's there, obviously. You know, Connor Wigman. I, I just think Petrino is an excellent play caller. He has the, you know, skin on the wall, the chops mm-hmm. um, that Jimbo's going to respect. I would I would question this more had Jimbo gone young, up-and-coming offensive coordinator. Think like Zach Kitley or Garrett Riley mm-hmm. or Will Stein. If it's one of those guys, it's like, well, Jimbo, you know, wrangle the ropes back, you know, when things kind of get off off course. I think Petrino's respected enough to where he's going to have enough say in that room for this thing to work. I don't think it works long-term. I think this is mm-hmm. a one-year deal because if it does work, Bobby's going to go get a head coaching job somewhere. This isn't going to be something that's a long-term fix. But mm-hmm. I think for one year, Jimbo Fisher, Bobby Petrino make this work offensively. My biggest question for Texas A&M may be on the defensive side. That's a good point. I'm, I'm also going to buy this, weirdly, because – I see this as Jimbo Fisher hiring somebody that he know. It's it, that was the the mis, the the big question mark when he was hiring a coordinator it was like, would he listen to somebody? Mm-hmm. I think he wants. I think he was gonna hire somebody he would listen to, right? right. And if he if he hired a Garrett Riley, he'd be like, what? Who's this kid? 
Right, yeah, cool. You put a good offense at TCU. Congratulations. Right. I want a national title. It was going to be right. somebody he respects. Exactly. It was going to be somebody that he to. considers an intellectual equal. Right. A For peer, sure. Somebody who maybe not as accomplished, right? Not everybody's won a national title, but somebody who has been there, done that, coached at big programs, has a tenure, right? And so I kind of agree because, yeah, sure, they're both headstrong coaches with their own kind of uh, prickly personalities and, obviously, mm-hmm. and and things like that. But I I don't know. I feel like it's somebody that – for him to give up play calling is such a big change in his career that he wasn't just going to go give it to the hot shot. To the next guy, right. Coach, right, that's going to be – yeah, I'm going to take it – I'm going to take answers from this 32-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. No. I'm going to get somebody who I trust, who's somebody who I would go grab a drink with and say, cool, let's talk about uh, – I, somebody I can talk ball with, somebody he considers, like like Craven mentioned, a peer. And so, I, yeah, as weird as it is, right, as, as awkward as the hire was, I, I think it might work out. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our next – Buying or selling? TCU regresses next year in a similar fashion to what Baylor did this season after winning 12 games mm. in 2021. Bye. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go with bye as well. Yeah. This team lose, and it's gonna be because they lose so much. They lose a lot. They, lose they do. So they really much. do. They lose Max Duggan. They lose Quentin Johnson. They're probably gonna lose, lose Kendra, Kendra Miller. Miller. Um, and that's just the playmaker. You're literally over. three offensive weapons. Right, right. Like and you're so, like, when you, have, when you lose those ten-ball players, and, again, that's not even getting to the defensive side of the ball, um, and, and it's going to be a lot. It's going to mm-hmm. be a lot to replace. Um, you're going to be – theoretically, you're bringing in new guys that are talented, like Tommy Brockermeyer and JoJo World, things like that, but they're still going to be working, trying to figure out how to play together and trying to figure out how to gel with new teammates. Um, is Chandler Morris the guy going forward? Maybe. I don't know. Um, we'll see. But – it's a lot, right? And I don't think it'd be crazy to say, like, yeah, they probably f- are closer to eight wins, right? Mm-hmm. Seven wins next year. And to no fault of their own. Um, it's good that they're keeping the coaching staff more or less intact. So, yeah, I, I buy this. Craven? Yeah, I, I think I, I buy it as well, obviously. You know, for the same reasons that Baylor took that big regression, it's, it's hard to lose that much production yeah, and exactly. stay on top. And also, not even that. You know, they had like six or seven one possession wins this year. I think yeah. they were six and one or seven and one in mm-hmm. one possession games. Unless you're Jeff Trailer, those tend to kind of fall, you know, to 500 on the coin flip scale. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to, you know, like that's what happened to Baylor this year. You know, they were, I think, five and one the year before in one possession games. And then they were two and five this year. You know, that can be the difference. And so add in the close games, add in the roster turnover. I think that they're going to regress down to seven or eight wins like Ish, Ish said. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. All right, let's move on to our last one. Buying or selling? i got to put it up first. UTSA will walk into the American and will be a contender in just year one. I, I'm, I'm buying in on that, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a contender, because like, the, the phrase is a contender. It's not, you know, they're gonna, we're not saying they're going to win the right, American. Right, we're just saying they're going to be like a that. contender. Yeah. I'm buying in on that. I think I will because the top – I mean, again, the AC's power, even when the new schools leave, and all, it's going to be at the top, right? It's mm-hmm. not going to necessarily be a bloodbath top to bottom. Um, and UTSA fits more with that top than they do the middle of the bottom. I think um, I agree. They're closer to Tulane, right, than mm-hmm. they are to – I'm trying to think who was the last place in the AC this year. South Florida, right? Yeah. They're closer to Tulane than they are to South Florida. They're closer to SMU than they are to Temple. Tulsa. Right, yeah. Tulsa, right. So, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, when you lose – UCF, Cincinnati, um, Houston, 
you need a new power vacuum to kind of step in, and UTSA is probably the most ready-made out of any of the programs coming in to step into that. Bring it back Frank Harris, too. Yeah. And then uh, yeah. Clark is coming back as well, I saw. So it's like, Jeez, yeah, it's yeah you're point. you're coming you're coming into the eight American with a good amount of weapons with you. Sure. Crazy. Joshua Cephas also coming back. Rashad Wisdom also coming back. Uh, I tend to downplay the Roadrunners. Everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. I, I lose a lot of money on the gambling train with UTSA because <laughs> I just can't get myself <laughs> to believe that they're as good as they are as a, as a former student there. Right. Uh, but I, I think I buy it as well. I mean, Tulane obviously is going to be the favorite. I, I think, uh, you know, SMU is going to be up there as well with Preston Stone and what they're going to bring into the transfer portal, what they're going to add. Um, to that program. Uh, but UTSA is right there. You know, if they're not in that top tier, they're right below it. Uh, Frank coming back, I think, gives them an opportunity to walk into that thing and go compete for a conference championship. It'd be different had he not come back. And I think it's one of the real wins of the NIL world. I think Cam Rising at Utah as well, where these guys who used to need to bail to go try to make some money and cash in where we could mm-hmm. can now stay and make some money and cash in where they could. And it's going to make college football better in the long run because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we saw, I mean, Stetson Bennett was somebody who benefited from that as yeah. well. Uh, last year, a lot of people were saying, you got to go, you got to cash in your chip. And it's like, man, he's probably going to make pretty good money. And, mm-hmm. and like he meant, like he did, led him to a repeat national title. Uh, this one, Craven sent me, Mallory. So this, you did have a, um, a final lower third for this one, but this one's kind of an interesting one. Buy or sell, Houston finishes above 500 Ooh. in Big 12 play next year. Big 12 play, Big so 12 not play. Yeah, so not Man, including. I have no idea what they have on their uh, non-conference schedule. So yeah, I haven't looked at their their it's, non-conference schedule yet. So yeah, but um, but regardless, oh, it's. I mean, it's, it's okay. It's uh, UTSA, Rice, Sam Houston. So not including those games, right? Who, um, who do they have first on their UTSA on Big No Big Twelve play? Oh, in I Big don't think they've announced the Big Twelve schedule yet. Oh, I guess yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. They probably haven't yet. But um, but regardless. Imagine just 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 picture the Big Twelve now. <laughs> what we saw last year. Let's add Houston. Let's add Cincinnati, uh, UCF, BYU. What what? I mean, uh, I'm selling. You're se- I I I, I was, feel weird, but I just because I don't want to come of, off as a pessimist about Houston, but I kind of pick it the same. I mean, they were middle of the pack in the American, yeah. and they're only. They're only going to a conference that's that's, that's a lot better. See, and than I don't want to make it sound like I'm coming down hard on this guy, but they're also betting on Donovan Smith. Right, exactly. Like, like I like Donovan Smith, but like he's their guy that they picked up in tra- the transfer portal, yeah. right? And it's like that's who they're. I think go he's with. a capable quarterback. I don't know if he's a he turns Houston around quarterback, right? In fact, I would lean towards the opposite. I don't think he's – I think he's somebody who can pilot a good roster, right, mm-hmm. who should be a starting quarterback at the Power 5 level in some capacity. I don't think he's the guy that would lead Houston to eight, nine wins. I, I just don't. Yeah, you're losing Tank Dell, their best player too. So yeah, it's well, like – Yeah, it's – I think I'm, I'm going to go selling too, Craven. I think I'm with you on that one. There are just a lot of question marks, and the Big 12 gets tougher, in my opinion. Yep. Big 12 gets tougher, and they were 0-2 against the Big 12 teams last year. You know, We kind of talked about this with North Texas and how when they played against the American Mm -hmm. teams, they just didn't match up well. Houston had a similar problem last year. I think the way Donovan Smith played in that Texas Tech versus Houston double overtime, 33-30 win for Texas Tech, really Mm -hmm. sold that that coaching staff on what he could be in that offense. Uh, I think he has a lot of potential. I think Houston could surprise us in a positive way, kind of in the opposite way that they did last year. 
when our hopes were so high, maybe mm-hmm. having lower expectations is good for this roster. But going into it, I just don't see them as one of the top half of the, that conference. I, I think they're behind a couple of those teams that are coming into the conference, and they're definitely behind a decent amount of teams that are still in the conference. Yep. So, yeah, that's kind of uh, – that's that's that. I mean, I, I'm curious to see that schedule because yeah. now it, you're, you're getting to the point where you don't have to – there's so many teams in the Big 12 that you're not going to play everybody. Right. So like it comes to the point where you're like, OK, well, who do they miss out on? Right. Who's the team that doesn't have to play maybe Texas and Kansas State in the same year? Right. Right. And there's not there's just not as many gimmies as there were in the past. Sure. You know, like yeah. gimme games. I mean, Kansas even Kansas is, is better. You know, West Virginia. Right. Exactly. Like there's just there's just not those. So yeah. it's going to be hard. <laughs> uh, do you have an, is there an indication of when the schedule is going to drop? Craven, do you know? <laughs> Well, they got they got behind the scenes. They have two schedules, right? Like each school has kind of the schedule if Texas and Oklahoma are in it, uh, and then an right. emergency right. schedule right. in case Texas and Oklahoma find a way to push the emergency <laughs> That's exit. Crazy right. to think um, about. And so, like, I think it's one of those deals where you know, as soon as they have real confirmation that those two teams are going to be in, mm-hmm. I think it gets released. Uh, we're starting to see like Conference USA release theirs yesterday or the day before Um, so they're starting to come out they're starting to be more prevalent so i imagine the big 12 wants to release it Mm -hmm. but they also don't want to do what conference usa did last year right where you release a schedule everybody starts making travel plans and then all of a sudden you got to do a new one and so i I think they're going to try to wait until they know for sure which way that one's going to go before they release anything yeah that's a good point um okay before we go i just want to get because we have had some transfer activity some teams making their moves in terms of figuring out who their quarterbacks are going to be. So, Mike Craven, I want to get your instant thoughts right now. So, we've had four, I'd say four, interesting transfers of the last couple of days. Uh, UNT getting Chandler Rogers from ULM. Uh, Texas State, of course, getting Malik Hornsby from Arkansas. Ryan Stubblefield committing to UIW, former of, formerly of Rich, uh, for, uh, Richmond Foster Sorry. and uh, ECU. And then Sawyer Robertson from Mississippi State going to Baylor, uh, obviously mm-hmm. boosting that quarterback room. Craven, you got any initial thoughts on those? Uh, obviously, UNT, at least the, the non-Baylor teams seem to, be have, uh, seem to be getting guys who could start right away. Uh, obviously, Baylor... Probably, but I think it's more of to push Blake Shaven than to maybe replace him with Sawyer Robertson. Uh, you got any instant thoughts on those? Yeah, I thought the Sawyer Robinson one was pretty interesting. You know, they beat TCU head up for that one. That was a TCU-Baylor uh, battle there in the transfer portal, and he goes to Baylor. I think he's got a better chance to win that job yeah. uh, than he would. I think Chandler Morris is pretty entrenched as that TCU starter uh, moving forward. So that that's a good one. You know, whether it pushes Blake Shapin to be more consistent and better or he takes that job, either way, that's a win uh, for Baylor. They needed somebody – uh, to push him and be a backup there. So I think that was a good one. And then, you know, I'm sure this is the one you want to talk about, but a guy like Malik Hornsby is not going to Texas State before G.J. Kinney gets there, that, right? Like that's yeah. that's a that's a clear-cut advantage and look at what this program can start doing in the transfer portal, what they can do at the high school level recruiting-wise. All you got to do is turn on the Lindsey Scott, uh, Scott tape. I doubt Kinney had to do much. Uh, recruiting there you just ship off that film and you just go hey watch this guy we're going to do exactly that with you uh, next year and that that's an exciting player one of the fastest players in college football I don't mean one of the fastest quarterbacks in college football right like legit one of the fastest players in college football you know and so uh, he's going to be exciting he's going to be impressive and Lindsey Scott wasn't known as a passer when he arrived at Incarnate Word and, Mm -hmm. and you saw the numbers he put up there 
uh, for the Cardinals. I'd imagine a similar thing happens with Hornsby, and that makes Texas State a must-watch team at least early in the year mm-hmm. just to see what that looks like. Yeah, and so, um, like I said, that was seeing him because I believe he, uh, Nebraska was in the conversation for him as well. Um, I believe that was maybe more of a commitment to the position. Uh, from what I from what I read, Nebraska wasn't exactly committed to him as a quarterback, and I feel like he wants to prove himself as a quarterback. And if you're a G.J. Kinney and you have that type of athlete at your disposal, you're going to say, yeah, sure, we'll figure out whatever the hell to do with you. Um, as I say that, Zach Calzada just made his official commitment to UIW. So Ryan Stubblefield and Zach Calzada in the locker room. That's that's a fun little pair to choose from. Mm -hmm. What a fascinating college. I know this isn't the sub-FBS podcast that Corey and I do, but my goodness, you you got one head coach who goes on to be now North Texas's head coach, Cam Ward, starting yep. uh, at a at a Pac-12 program. G.J. Kinney goes and wins the Walter Payton Award, which is the Heisman for FCS. They, they finished third in the rankings, FCS. G.J. Kinney gets the Texas State job. Now they got like a 28-year-old yeah. head coach from Chris Killo out there. They got a former A&M starter, Auburn, Auburn guy, and Zach Calzada. Just a fascinating program that's come from like nothing mm-hmm. to be a real springboard. Uh, it's been interesting to watch there in San Antonio. Yes, Doublefield was somebody I was a little upset got out of the state. So the fact that they go, they're going to go right from the Calzada to potentially Stubblefield in you know within a year is going to be is pretty impressive. I mean that's I, I love that. Um, so yeah, that actually just dropped three minutes ago, so that was interesting. Um, so yeah, we'll be tra- we'll be tracking all of this, man. We still got. I mean, Craven put up an article over the best high school, the best players in the transfer portal that played Texas high school football. Spencer Sanders still on there, still out there looking for stuff. Uh, Levi Bell from Texas State still on the board as well. Hopefully these guys can get uh, either stay or get back in the state in Spencer Sanders' case, but we'll see. Um, A lot of spots are filling up now, now that uh, Texas State and UNT kind of filled up their positions. So we'll see, though. Uh, We'll be keeping track of it, and we'll, uh, like I said, we'll be back next week where we start our postmortems talking just about reviewing and off-season needs things like that we still got early signing uh the later signing period mm-hmm. coming up in february so there'll be stuff to talk about there there's still a lot it's not going to be you know hard hitting on the field football f- until next year next fall i should say but we still got some stuff going on we still got some things to talk about some uh uh some venting sessions maybe for some programs or some optimistic outlooks for some programs so with that being said we have talked to What's the number again? Because I keep forgetting. Thir- or no, we've talked to 11. <laughs> 10. I was going to say it's 10. Oh, um, oh, because. Yeah. yeah. So 10 <laughs> of the 13 Jeez. FBS head coaches Can't in the state. Jimbo Fisher, please give us a call because we think it will work between you and Bob Petrino. <laughs> As usual, go Rutgers. Go Rutgers.